Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Euro Trip. And as you will know by now, it is another episode of the contest and me and it is presented by me rob and i'm joined as ever by oh i have to say my own name i don't even get an introduction anymore never mind james Rowe. hello rob hello everyone i'm really excited about this week's episode by the way because i think i'm right in saying people will prove me wrong i know if i'm wrong but i think i'm right in saying it's the first time we've ever had a grand final commentator on the contest and me Definitely, I think you are right. So feel free to send the abuse both James and my way <laughs> if what we're saying is incorrect. Absolutely, we are chatting today, very excitedly, to Melina Karajorgiou, who is Cyprus's Eurovision commentator. She was one of their commentators at Eurovision in 2022, previously has commentated on the contest between 2008 and 2016. And before we go on, Melina, if you are listening to this, I appreciate that isn't how you pronounce your surname. And I'm really, <laughs> really sorry, but I am neither Greek nor Cypriot and therefore cannot get that pronunciation quite bang on. But for the purposes of the podcast, and I'm very sorry, feel free to call me by the wrong name, Melina, if you would like. We're going to go with Melina Karajorgiou. You haven't had much practice with uh, Greek or Cypriot, have we? Uh, because I think this is only the second ever guest from Cyprus we've ever had on the podcast. But rest assured, so many great stories from Melina coming up from when she was growing up uh, in Cyprus. Uh, somebody from the Eurovision Song Contest that she had a crush on. And, of course, some tales from the commentary box as well. Yeah, we get a tour around the various commentary boxes that Melina has found herself in over the last decade or so. So that is definitely worth staying tuned for. So we've got all that still to come. Thanks again for joining us or thank you if this is the first ever time you've tuned into the Eurotrip because maybe you're a first time listener. So if you are, 
welcome. It's great to have you with us, but it does mean you've missed out on a whole lot of episodes before this, including last week's conversation here on The Contest of Me with Louise Cantillon, who is the presenter of Ireland's junior Eurovision coverage, which also kick-started at the weekend. So maybe you heard Louise on the podcast and then tuned in to Ireland's coverage of junior Eurovision, their selection process, and watched that at the weekend as well. Yeah, that continues for the next few weeks, doesn't it? As Ireland look to pick their entry for Yerevan 2022. So look forward to following that over the next few weeks. And thank you, as you said, James, to Louise for joining us. Thank you to all of you who tuned in as well. Hopefully one for the Irish cousins. I'm sure they will have enjoyed that one. But also, of course, since that conversation with Louise, we have released another episode on the podcast. And that was our bonus chat with Dan Shipton. Now, Dan was the creative director behind the United Kingdom's entry at Eurovision 2022 and many, 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 many other Eurovision entries as well. James, before we get to what everyone thought of the chat, what did you think of the chat? Because I don't think I've really had the chance to ask you since the episode, of course. You gave your initial reaction on the podcast when we released it on Friday, but you've had a few days to think about it now. Yeah, maybe everybody's had the same amount of time to sort of ponder since they, they heard your conversation with Dan, which was a great conversation because we got so many little gems from it about his process and, and his involvement with the Eurovision Song Contest. I think we learned so much that we didn't know about that side of the Eurovision Song Contest. We know about the performers. We know about some of the, the producers. We've been lucky enough to chat to the likes of Krista Bjorkman and Sita Baka here on the podcast, but never that sort of creative side, have we? So, yeah, I think maybe I'm like everybody else. We learned a lot about an aspect of Eurovision that we didn't already know about. Definitely. If you haven't listened yet, just a little tease for you, and people that have listened already will know this, but there is part of that episode where Dan talks about how early he got involved with the UK's project in 2022. And it is astounding just how far before Eurovision 2022 that conversation was had. That's all I will say. Uh, James, you mentioned Seat Sabaka as well. Um, are we allowed to tell people that Seat Sabaka slipped into our DMs the other day? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can say exactly what it was about, but maybe we sort of maybe people can figure out what it was about. Well, he did, didn't he? He sent us a DM, and uh, we've been planting some seeds, and hopefully those seeds will shoot. Is that a phrase? Yeah. The seedlings will shoot. You can keep your seeds away from Seatsa and me. Thank you very much. I don't know where we go from there, but I'm going to go to some of your tweets after that episode with Dan Shipton. Uh, Sophie said, just finished it. It was amazing. Sophie, thank you very much for that. Also, another one, Cory got in touch. She said, I love how Dan saw the plans for the 2022 stage and decided not to rely on those elements working. Good call. Brackets, by the way, the 2017 staging for Lucy remains my UK fave. Yeah, Dan mentioning that him and the rest of his team had kind of worked out that they thought that the stage wouldn't work properly in 2022, an awful long time before the rest of us realised that that may indeed be the case. And also there was a mention of Parlophone from Dan Shipton in that episode. Parlophone are or were at the time, Sam Ryder's record label, because Sam at the time not signed by Tap, but Tap Music got in touch with Sam Ryder because the producer of Spaceman was signed to Tap Music. This is all very confusing. Anyway, <laughs> Parlophone were big supporters of the UK entry last year, 
And Asa Ben got in touch. He said, nice interview. As mentioned by Dan, Parlophone's involvement was also really important. And I think that they're the real unsung heroes of the year when everyone just thinks Tap did everything. And then Blue Zone got in touch, agreeing with what Asa Ben said. Uh, Blue Zone said... So true, Parlophone could have turned it down, but didn't. They took on the challenge, and some of the funding would have come from them too. I also really appreciate how Warner invested so much in promoting Sam around Europe. As Sam constantly emphasised, it was a team effort. And that is absolutely what we learned from that chat with Dan. So thank you to everyone who got in touch with us about that conversation. And if you want to read more about how the staging for Spaceman could have looked then make sure you head over to eurotrippodcast.com. Yeah, absolutely. And for any of your other thoughts, whether it's about Dan Shipton or Louise Cantillon or the guests we've got coming up today, uh, then make sure you get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at eurotrippodcast or on the email, we are hello at eurotrippodcast.com. This is the Eurotrip. Absolutely. Let's crack on then with today's chat on the contest and me. James noticed that you didn't try and pronounce Melina's name there. <laughs> I normally don't avoid names, but it's just because you, I feel like I'm under pressure. <laughs> Where you sort of apologise with your pronunciation. I thought, well, that would have been my pronunciation as well. I'm not going to go with the same incorrect one as you did. So we all know who I'm talking about anyway. Absolutely. Melina Karajorju. However, that isn't how you pronounce her surname. But Melina, really sorry. If, again, once again, if you are listening, Melina, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but yes, Melina is Cyprus's commentator on the Eurovision Song Contest, or at least one of them. She was part of a double act at Eurovision in 2022. Before that, she commentated for CYBC, obviously Cyprus's broadcaster, at the contest between 2008 and 2016. So plenty of stories to tell, many of which on the way. Yeah, I said at the beginning of the episode that I'm really excited for this one because we get a bit of an insight into areas that we don't hear about very often, uh, including, you'll be pleased to hear, we hear about some Eurovision songs that are her favourites that we haven't heard yet. Maybe you're sick of hearing about Loreen and Euphoria. How could you? Uh, But maybe you have, because most of the guests have have mentioned Loreen so far this year. Um, Melina doesn't mention Loreen or Euphoria, but has a different favourite Eurovision song of all time. You'll be pleased to hear. You say she doesn't mention it. She does mention it, but just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) There is less time dedicated to Euphoria in this episode of The Contest and Me than there has been previously. And I would say that... Jack, and Jack, you know who you are. You got in touch with us. You sent us a DM. You will be delighted with Melina's favourite Eurovision song. That's all I'll say. So we've got that to come. Like James said previously, we've got insights into various commentary boxes around Europe. And also a brilliant story about what happened to her while broadcasting at the semi-final in 2010 when Cyprus qualified. So stay tuned for that. So let's get to it, shall we? This is Rob's conversation with Melina Karajorju here on the Eurotrips, The Contest and Me. So, Melina, welcome to The Contest and Me. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. It's brilliant to have you. I think this is one of the very first times here on the Eurotrip that we have crossed to Cyprus, which seems like something we should have done more often, given your excellent recent track record at the Eurovision Song Contest, 2022 aside, perhaps. But Melina, what is it like over in over in Cyprus at the moment? Give us a bit of escapism, because here where I'm talking to you from in the UK, it's, it's pretty chilly at the moment. 
Mm, yeah, it's quite warm here. I don't want to make you jealous, but <laughs> it's quite warm. It's still summer. Uh, it feels great. And uh, coming back from work after writing stories about conflicts and boring politics and sad events, it's definitely a great integral act to be with you right now. Mina, your Eurovision uh, role or your various roles at the Eurovision Song Contest have, have kind of changed down the years. As we will learn in this episode of the Contest of Me, you have been a fan, you have been a journalist, and more recently, you have been Cyprus's commentator at the Eurovision Song Contest, a role that you had, of course, in 2022. So that seems like the best place to start. What what do you, how, how do you reflect, Melina, on Eurovision 2022? Okay, I don't have memories from Torino, from Turin, because I did the commentary from Cyprus, from CYBC. So no memories from the arena and the contest spirit this year, unfortunately, for budget reasons. But it was um, a really important year for me because uh, it marked my, let's say, my comeback as a commentator after five years. So I've been the commentator uh, from 2008 uh, to, to 2016 for nine years. And then in 2017, there was a new management who made other choices. But one way or another, I, I continue to follow Eurovision. I mean, how can you escape from this? Then since uh, May 21, I started, I started my weekly radio show, which I named Euphoria. It's on air every Saturday on CYBC Radio. And uh, then coming back to 2022, I was asked by the people involved in CYBC uh, to take this role again, the commentator's role, uh, this time as a duet. So it took me a few seconds to say yes. And, um, well, it was a challenge because I've been in... I've been solo for years and now I had to divide the work and make sure together with my new colleague Alexandros that there is a flow and chemistry and um, we worked hard, we had fun, I think it went well. Um, so yes, I followed all the rehearsals remotely thanks to the online press center, I listened to the songs again and again but I was not in, in, in Turin. It, it was a great uh, contest, uh, however. Absolutely. It definitely was. And like you say, personally for you, brilliant to be back in the commentary box. So we will, of course, ask and find out far more about that as we go on. But if we talk about Cyprus, of course, Cyprus missing from the grand final for the first time in a long time. So that must have been quite disappointing. Yes, it was. And, you know, it's it's never easy Um the moment when you have to announce that your country is not in the finals, you have to find a nice, a nice way to say that. Hopefully, next next year, yeah. Melina, it's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Like you say, especially. For those of us watching maybe at home or even in the arena just as fans, you know, we hope that certain countries qualify, maybe our own countries qualify, but being the person or, or one of the people that have to communicate that to the audience back home is, is a huge responsibility. It is, and you never really know what to say. You have to find a, a nice way to put it. I mean, I always try to... 
um, pay some respect to the artists, to the delegation and the whole effort. But um, then I say, okay, uh, it is what it is and uh, let's move forward. And we do have, though, if we look back on, on better times, Cyprus to thank for some fantastic Eurovision entries over recent years, over the last decade or so. So we will talk about them, I am sure. But Melina, let's go back and hit the first question that we have to cover off today on the contest of me, which is your first Eurovision memory, Melina. What was your first memory of the contest? Well, um, I come from a family who watched Eurovision every year since I remember myself. My dad used to record the whole broadcast. You know, he put those stickers on the tapes, writing the year in the host city, and then we would watch it again and again. So um, maybe not the first Eurovision memory, but yeah, one of the first ones and really strong ones as a child. I would say Johnny Logan singing Hold Me Now and kneeling and being so passionate about it. And then at the winning performance when he says, come on Ireland, and he goes back hugging the backing vocals. Yeah, I love that. I think Johnny Logan is is so many people's first memory, actually, because, you know, he's such an iconic figure when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. Did, did you have any kind of routines that as a family, Melina, you would you would kind of go through watching the Eurovision Song Contest? You know, you said your dad would record the contest and we've heard on previous episodes of this series, people would eat certain foods, drink certain drinks when it comes to Eurovision. Is that something that, that happened with you? Was Eurovision always an event in the house? Yes, always an event. Um, yeah, we would see it all together in front of the TV, eating as Greek Cypriots do, souvlaki uh, or pizza, uh, local foods. Uh, and then, uh, yes, he would put those tapes uh, in a special place. So we could go back and check our favorite song again and again. And then growing up, Melina, obviously watching Eurovision, just how special was it that your country, that that Cyprus was performing on the TV, you know, alongside all of those other countries from from across Europe? And how, how important and how special was it that, you know, at Eurovision, of course, everyone is equal. Cyprus and, and the rest of the Europe get the chance to showcase their performance and their performers and their songs the same as anyone else. It was really special and uh, we even discussed about it at school. There was a magazine in the 80s and the 90s um, uh, especially devoted to Eurovision songs and we used to learn the lyrics. Um, Even if we didn't understand anything, we just sang around at school. Um, we discussed about it a lot, yes, uh, at least uh, with friends in the family. Uh, it, it was quite special in coming from a small, small country. Um, of course, I'm half Greek Cypriot and half Greek, so I used to and still support both countries. So having two countries in the contest is, um, is great. If we move forward then, Melina, we've had your first Eurovision memory that was I guess, watching the contest, you said, on the TV at home, your dad recording it, Johnny Logan and and Hold Me Now. But is there a moment then, maybe, you know, 
much later in time or maybe not that much later that you really think that you actually fell in love with Eurovision? Um, it must have happened during those first years while I was in school, those first years. Um, I think I had my first uh, crush with Toto Coutinho. I hope it doesn't sound too cheesy. <laughs> when, you know, he was thinking about the dream of a united Europe. Um, Italian sounded amazing. The whole idea sounded great. And um, he was wearing white, just like Johnny Logan did. So that was a moment. Well, if we move forward then from Toto, which we're putting down as, as the moment that you fell in love with the contest, and we've already had your first memory. So, so far, we've got Johnny Logan and Toto as two key individuals that go back through your, your history of Eurovision. Your favourite Eurovision year, Melina, and, and let's talk about, you know, your own history with the competition, because... I don't want to put words in your in your mouth, of course, but but two thousand and six must have been a special year. Yes. Okay. Um, I would say two thousand and eight, two thousand and six, also bad. Two thousand eight was my first year as a commentator, but not only a commentator. Um, back then, the CYBC director asked me to work both as a commentator and a journalist, a reporter, for fifteen days in Belgrade which was a lot. It was huge for me. I did have a previous experience in Athens, 2006. That was the first time, actually, that the Cyprus Television sent a journalist on the spot. Uh, we know Athens is really close to Nicosia, to Cyprus, there, so there was a special interest. Um, I had to report daily about the contest, the organization, doing interviews and sending my stories. It was, it was amazing. It, it, it was exciting. And, you know, it was after Athens held the Olympics. Yeah, but 2008 was, was much more because um, imagine having to report daily, but at the same time, getting ready for the commentary, rehearsing and doing the commentary, uh, the dress rehearsals for the first time. That, that was insane, but um, it was my first year as a commentator, so it was, it was really important. And um, people in Belgrade were, um, were really friendly and warm and hospitable. So I learned a lot. I, most importantly, I joined the Eurovision commentators community and, and family, the VBU family. So it, it was exhausting, but it was an absolutely great year. And uh, there were some strong entries back then. Um, so yes, 2006 and 2008. And then perhaps I would say 2010. I think Oslo did great as a host city. And uh, Cyprus qualified from the semi-final to the final for the first time. So it was special. Absolutely, always special when you're when you see, like you say, your your country on the screen after the semi final. You know you've made it through, and especially for you, as we touched on earlier, because you're the person that gets to share that with everybody watching at home. You mentioned Melina, the the Eurovision commentator family. What is that like? Because you must see so many of the same faces. And it must be so good to kind of reunite with them. But you must have had some some great times and memories with with some of them as well. 
It's always a pleasure to meet those people again. We share the love, we, we share the, um, the passion and, and the fun. Um, it's great to see them uh, during the commentary briefings and then uh, if we are lucky enough and have time uh, at the parties and uh, we try to help each other. Um, it's, it's a special feeling, even if you don't see those people for a year or a couple of years. They feel so so familiar, like family. Melina, how special was that moment? You said, you know, back in, in, in 2010 when Cyprus qualified for the final, from the semi-final for the first time. Does that therefore mean that, that Cyprus's entry from 2010 holds a kind of special place in your heart, and it was it was John Lillygreen and the Islanders, I think, representing Cyprus that year, which in its which in itself is a fascinating story. Yes, it was. Uh, actually, this is um, this is a really memorable Eurovision moment for me. <laughs> so I was in my booth, and and it was time for the ten envelopes. We had the envelopes back then uh, of the qualifying countries to be revealed. I was really excited and I was announcing um, the countries and then suddenly Cyprus was in the sixth envelope. So I started shouting, I would say that in Greek, Ikipros, Ikipros in Cyprus is in the final. And, and then I said, okay, we don't care about the rest now, but of course, <laughs> but of course I did continue doing my commentary as usual. Um, however, um, I didn't know that for a mysterious technical reason, my booth sound was disconnected for several minutes right after announcing Cyprus until the end of the results announcement. So I discovered that later because, you know, my, my phone was muted, my cell phone. Uh, but then I discovered that people from Cyprus were texting and calling to ask if I'm okay. Uh, if I fainted, and some others were really moved and uh, emotional, and some others just thought that I left my position, that I, uh, <laughs> I just left, or I didn't care about announcing the remaining countries. Um, I mean, it was crazy. Why up you see me? Why up you spot me in the clouds? Smile, I say you missed me. Why up you see my name? Be honest, Felina, did you get so excited that you pulled out the cable? Is that what happened? No. But, uh, you know, I just recently, um, um, one of the composers of uh, Life Looks Better in Spring, Nasus Lambrianidis, uh, told me that uh, the, the following morning um, in the in the in the press room, um, part of my commentary that particular part was uh, was played in the press room, and people were super exciting. Were trying to trying to understand um, if I was crying or not, but no, I was just really really happy. <laughs> so this is how special. <laughs> A qualification can be, especially if uh, your country hasn't qualified for for years. No, just that moment of of sheer joy. And and if we just talk about that entry just a little bit more as well, 
the fact that that John Lilly Green and the Islanders was representing Cyprus is fascinating in itself because I I think John Lilly Green is, is from Wales. As far as I know, the okay, the composers are Cypriots. I think they were um, uh, they were looking for a male voice, so they went online searching for for voices for potential singers, and that's how they they found John Lilligreen. What a brilliant story! Uh, just um, amazing, isn't it? The, uh, the 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 brilliant stories that come out of the Eurovision Song Contest when people connect that otherwise potentially wouldn't get to, and then you end up performing to two hundred million people. <laughs> yes, Melina, I, I hate to think that we may have taken uh, may have taken your answer for for one of the upcoming questions, which is your most memorable Eurovision moment. So hopefully, you've got a little bit of time to potentially think of of an alternative answer for that one, but. But, but next, Melina, we, we go on to your favourite Eurovision song of all time. So it sounds like John Lilly Green's song, of course, holds very special memories, but maybe that's not your favourite Eurovision song of all time. What would that be? Are you really expecting me to say only one? I think it's, I think it's fair that you can have more than one because I've heard a lot of guests on this series, including people that have spoken to me and my co-host James, who have given us more than one. So I think that's fair enough. Okay, thank you. Perhaps I could make a top three? Absolutely. Let's go for it. I I absolutely love many Eurovision songs, but I I will make a short list for you. So there are some uh, iconic songs from the past, of course. I don't have memories from them, um, songs which are amazing. I learned about them later as I was growing up and getting to love Eurovision. Uh, so Waterloo is my top one from this list. Um, then, um, okay, uh, Lane Moje by Jeliko Yuksimovic, 2004. There is something very original and, 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 and mesmer- mesmerizing about this song to me. And um, I met Jeliko a few years later, I think it was at a party in Belgrade, 2008. And I went to him and I said, um, you know, I love your song, it touches my heart and I feel it talks about love in a very special way, although I don't understand the lyrics. And um, Jeliko said to me, if it speaks to you this way, this is what's important for me too. You don't have to understand the full lyrics. You know, that must be so nice for him as an artist to know that, and the composer of his song as well, of course, to know that, you know, the lyrics kind of, as you said, transcend languages there. Again, which is what's so special about Eurovision. Sometimes, you know, as you mentioned before, you were singing songs on the playground that you didn't necessarily know the meaning to, but, you know, you can keep doing that in later life and still enjoy the music. Exactly. And, and I think uh, Jellico is um, really happy about that too. Do I have more songs? Uh, you can if you want. Are there, any that, <laughs> are there any that still stand out? So, so far, so far I've got you down as Waterloo and then, uh, and then Joko's song from, from 2004. But are there any others? I mean, your, your radio show you mentioned at the, at the start of the episode, Melina, is called, is it called Euphoria? Yes, for obvious reasons. Yes, I was going to say, I can guess why it has that name. (laughs) It's Eurovision and Euphoria, of course, because um, it's Euphoria, you know, it's a Greek word. So it's it's, it's that special feeling uh, that uh, Eurovision brings to us, uh, Eurovision generates. Uh, Yeah, Euphoria is one of the songs I 
I really love a lot, but I would say uh, another song. I would I would say Alexander Rybak's Fairy Tale. Um, it's um, it, it was such a great up, uplifting entry, and um, Alexander was a clear winner. I remember the press room in Moscow. It was full of journalists and accredited fans. There were so many of them who had said Fairy Tale as their cell phone ringtone. <laughs> I, I clearly remember that days before the contest. And um, uh, whenever I listen to uh, Fairy Tale, it, it just makes me happy. What does uh, what does fairy tale sound like as a mobile phone ringtone back in two thousand and nine? Did it did it still sound good even even in that sort of quality? Um, I just remember that uh, whenever the phones rang in the in the press room, most of them were you know. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Some absolutely fantastic songs you've mentioned there. Some songs that haven't come up previously. And actually, Melina, you didn't mention the one song that I assumed you would mention, which is, of course, Fuego. Oh, okay. I, I love Fuego. You can't be you 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 can't be Cypriot and and not love Fuego. Surely that's 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 almost the law. Of course. But I had to I had to mention. You know, I can't be objective with Fuego. Melina, we've already had some brilliant, memorable Eurovision moments for you. You mentioned that moment in the commentary box in, in 2010, of course, for yourself. You mentioned some, some other brilliant ones as well, some of the parties down the years too. Your most memorable Eurovision moment, given that you've already mentioned that moment in 2010, are there any others that really stand out from, from your years as a journalist and as a commentator, as a fan? Is there anything else that really stands out in all that time? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, it's the whole experience. It's it's the whole contest. It's being there. Uh, um, you know, uh, when when I am there, um, I remember especially in, during the first year. Even even my dreams at night were related to Eurovision. It was a twenty four seven thing. What about some of those commentary boxes down the years? Because because let's have a look. You you were in you were in the commentary box actually at the arena in the host city two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven, and then again in Stockholm in twenty sixteen. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Now I've heard stories. Now you you weren't there. You were commentating, but you you weren't there of the commentary boxes in Copenhagen in 2014, which I understand were very precarious and it was very difficult for people to uh, to go to the loo because they had to climb a number of different ladders. So what are your memories of some of those commentary boxes down the years? I mean, you must get some that are better than others. Let's, let's just put it like that. Okay, I've been told I was really lucky because uh, my first year happened to be in Belgrade and those commentary booths were not booths, they were rooms. <laughs> so everyone from the delegation was jealous and they were saying, oh my God, this never happened again. It was a whole room plus the booth. So uh, most of the time I had some people from the delegation um, in the room and I was using the booth. Uh, 
but then of course uh, this didn't happen again um, I remember the commentary booths in Moscow the booths were okay but the security measures were uh, were immense I mean uh, we had security guards between let's say uh, the booths and we had to um, make a circle uh, go all the way around in order to meet uh, uh, colleagues, the other commentators. Um, I understand that was for security reasons, but there was no need to do that. So that was a bit annoying. And what about actually, Melina, what about some of the freebies? Do you get some good gifts from the host countries? Because I imagine as a commentator, you walk through that door into your booth for the first time. And you are faced with a lovely little basket with gifts from the host country. Does that ever happen? Oh, yes. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of stuff. Uh, they're so generous. I love it. Uh, I think I still have a, a vodka or two. I won't, I won't mention from which countries. I think we can guess. <laughs> yeah. I have beautiful things. I've kept them. Um, eatable stuff. Of course, I don't have them with me anymore. Um, cosmetics, um, toys, all sorts of stuff. It sounds great. It's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant to hear that I'm not entirely wrong, and and, and that is that is that is what happens. We've we've heard brilliant stories of the commentary box. There, we had that brilliant moment from 2010. We've had some brilliant favorite Eurovision songs of yours as well, and favorite years. How does the UK stack up, I suppose, for you at the Eurovision Song Contest? Because this is the part of the contest in me where we always ask about the United Kingdom. And up until last year, the question was, how do the UK improve their fortunes at the Eurovision Song Contest? But then, of course, as you know full well from commentating on it in 2022, the UK very nearly won the Eurovision Song Contest. So, so how do they keep performing at such a high level in 2023 okay i will be very honest um i want to say that i was really rooting for the uk entry i think that from the moment i heard the first five seconds of spaceman i fell in love with it if i was an astronaut i'd be floating in midair and a broken heart would just belong to someone else down there. It was a fantastic entry. I'm a big fan of Sunrider. Um, really charismatic, positive energy in and out of stage. Uh, of course, I tried to be objective during the commentary, but I think it was a bit obvious how much I appreciated this entry. How difficult is that? How difficult is that to try and stay objective if there's a song that you really, really like or a song that you really, really don't like? How difficult is it to, to try and stay objective? I can pretty much hide it when I really don't like the song, but I, I can't... Uh, I can't hide it the other way. And I think it's not bad. I mean, people will, will vote whatever they like. Uh, my job is to present the song the best possible way, 
uh, I don't like to be ironic, you know. Okay, sometimes we see extreme things on chain on on stage, but um, yes, if I if I really like a song, it it will show. I saw an article earlier this week from uh, Lara Passini, of course, one of the hosts of, of Eurovision 2022, and she said that she found it very difficult to to cover up how much she loved Chanel's song and Spain's entry at, at Eurovision 2022. Can we talk about Cyprus, of course, Belinda? It, it seems only right that I can't ask you about the UK and not ask you about Cyprus. So how does Cyprus get themselves back in the final? I don't know how, but uh, we were in the finals most of uh, the last few years, so why not? Um, I think it's time to see an artist from Cyprus. I think the momentum has come. Cypriot fans wanted to. We had some really good collaborations with artists from Greece. Uh, and international composers but there is a lot of talent in the island as well and it would be great to see the talent on stage in 2023. Let's see hopefully as you say a a Cypriot artist at Eurovision next year that would be brilliant. Melina I've only got one more question I can't believe it's almost time for our conversation to to come to an end And, and this is a question that always gives us such brilliant answers because Lots of people have many different opinions on this one. Melina, if you could change anything about Eurovision, and of course, from the commentary box and and as a fan and as a journalist, you know a lot about Eurovision. But if you could change one thing, what would it be? I know this is out of the question, or at least too difficult to happen. I would like to see a live orchestra, as it happens with the San Remo Festival. But, as I said, this is very unlikely to happen. So, another more realistic change, and I think um, a really important one, would be to increase the number of the jury members. I think five people are not enough. It's not diverse enough. It's not always reliable enough. And, um, as we know, five people make for 50% of the total vote of a country. Um, so I would say jury members should be more, um, maybe 20 of them, and they should be carefully selected for the job. I mean, musicians, composers, artists, um, and preferably people who are not attached to media companies or things like that. Uh, that would be my one change. Sounds like a good idea to me. This is something that I've been advocating for for a very, very long time. Really? Yeah, as you said there, the fact that five people can make up half of a country's results just seems absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, it's not fair, is it? (laughs) Well, me and you can be the first two people that add our signatures to that petition that we can deliver to EBUHQ one day, maybe. Definitely. (laughs) Well, Melina... It has been absolutely fantastic to to hear some of your brilliant memories, some of your great stories, and just to to chat all things Eurovision with you on the contest and me. So, Melina, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you again at Eurovision in 2023. Thank you, Melina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is the Eurotrip. I did say at the beginning that I was very excited to hear this one. Hopefully you were as well. And hopefully... That didn't disappoint because, Rob, that was a great conversation with Melina. 
Yeah, huge thanks to Melina for coming on the podcast and having a chat with us on this week's episode of The Contest and Me. Because just to give you a little behind the scenes, it all just came from me just throwing a DM Melina's way. I found her on Twitter and I thought she'd probably be an interesting person to talk to for The Contest and Me. And she couldn't have been more enthusiastic about being part of the series. So thank you, Melina, for being on the show. Brilliant to have her on. And yeah, so many brilliant stories, including just how massive some of the commentary boxes were, including that very first one that she was in in Belgrade in 2008, and also the intense security measures around the contest in Moscow in 2009, and of course, that crazy story about how she was cut off from the rest (laughs) of the outside world when broadcasting at the semi-final in 2010, when Cyprus finally qualified for the final. And also, James, the fact that John Lillygreen and the Islanders from Wales represented Cyprus <laughs> in 2010, which until I spoke to Melina was a fact that I'd completely forgotten about. But it does just blow my mind that that happened in the first place. That's the world of the Eurovision Song Contest for you, isn't it? People always think, oh, well, you've got to be from a certain country. And yet that uh, that proves you wrong. Well, wasn't there a fella from not that far away from you who represented Romania in 2011? Was it uh, was it Hotel FM? I might have my wires crossed here. I'm sure it was. Was it Hotel FM? Romania 2011. Uh, I'm sure he's from County Durham, which is which is not a million miles away from from where I am in the world. I've just found it. You were correct. It was Hotel FM who represented Romania in 2011, and they were founded in 2005, actually, so six years before the contest, by British expat David Bryan and his pals. So there you are. And David <laughs> Bryan is from Newton Aycliffe. And it says in northeast England, James. So is Newton Aycliffe not a million miles away? Not a million miles away. Yeah, County Durham. It's probably about, I don't know, half an hour, something like that away from, from where I am. I'm not going to give you the exact destination. Otherwise, you're gonna, somebody's going to try and pinpoint, you know, when they put the pins on the wall and get the string, try and work out where I am. Go on, I give am. us the postcode, a day. Not a chance. Not a, I'll do yours if you do mine, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, given that David Bryan represented Romania, not a million miles away from you, and given that John Lillygreen represented Cyprus despite being from Wales, who knows? Me and you, maybe, one day for Albania. Fancy it? Me and you and Festival of Kengas? I'll, I'll see you there in December, Rob. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> Bring your big coat. <laughs> oh, Rob, thanks again for bringing us that conversation. It was great to hear from Melina, uh, from the world of the Eurovision commentary boxes. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And if you did, make sure you do uh, get in touch with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. We will be back with you again in a week's time for another episode of the Eurotrip, another episode of the Contest and Me. Yeah, this series is longer than last year. I think we just had the six or seven episodes last year. This year, it's a little bit longer because we've found so many guests and we want to bring you all those conversations. Yeah, a blockbuster bumper series of the Contest and Me in 2022, but it is coming to an end and next week is likely to be the last week of the Contest and Me. We're going to aim to wrap things up in September and then from October, we will be full steam ahead looking at Eurovision 2023. And as we've said before, with a twist, as I raise my eyebrow. He does raise his eyebrows. It's very suggestive. I can see it. You can't. You'll just have to believe me. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And I'm going to say thank you for tuning in next week as well, because that's when we'll be back with you in seven days time with a brand new episode of the Eurotrip. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And for me, Rob, it's goodbye.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.